Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cold Stove Pod. No, I am not Brett Merriman. I am NRD, flying solo today with you guys. Brett has earned his Christmas vacation. He will be off till next week. We'll be back with a bigger episode. Today, we're going to keep it a little short. Just me holding it down. Going to answer some of your questions. Going to talk about some thoughts on the World Juniors and whatnot. And we'll go from there. Um, So I appreciate you guys rocking with me today. But before we get into the World Juniors thoughts and your guys' questions, I just want to thank you guys for liking, subscribing, rating the podcast, five stars. It's all been great. I really appreciate the support as we continue to grow this Cold Stove Pod into the top three on the charts. So without further ado, I'll give you my thoughts really quick on the World Juniors that are going on right now in Edmonton and Red Deer. A couple of cancellations as we record the podcast today. Finland and Czechia, their game has been canceled because of COVID protocols. And that's been the story of the tournament so far. Team USA lost the game and they had to forfeit earlier on in the tournament. And now we're starting to see teams drop like flies in terms of COVID protocols. And a lot of questions about why this tournament's being held and why it's still ongoing. Should they be locked down in a bubble like they aren't right now? They're allowed to, they're in a loose lockdown in Edmonton and Red Deer. But the the biggest noise uh, and justified noise from everybody out there is the, um, the talk about how this tournament is currently going on while while the U18 women's tournament was canceled in January. And, and it's basically like there's truth and there's lie to, to the story that's being put out there by the IHF as to why the tournament was canceled. I think it's pretty well understood and accepted by most that that the World Juniors for the men's, uh, men's side of things is a big revenue driver for the IHF and the federations out there. Without that tournament, they'd probably be at a loss for every other tournament they put on. I, I believe that is true. I mean, it's factual. You can look up the numbers on that, but it, it it's still shitty that uh, that the women's tournament was canceled, and, and I hope that um, cooler heads prevail going into next year, or maybe they can reschedule the tournament for a later time. But it's it's a tough it's tough sledding right now for for the uh, for the World Junior Tournament, especially when you're having teams drop out of games like they have so far. And how do you maintain that competitive balance is just. It's tough for the IHF. It's tough for the fans. They're already short on you know capacity in the arenas. There, they're at fifty percent. So, I would think that the tournament continues on and finishes strongly with, with the best that they can do. But something I'll be interested to see. It stinks that Team USA, one of the favorites in the tournament, had to forfeit a game so far. So that'll that'll hurt them surely. Good news from Bob McKenzie earlier on today, as of recording this, is that they had no more positives. Um, so they should be able to play in their next game against Sweden. That's not locked in yet, but things are looking good for that. And then the games have been great, and the game the gameplay has been awesome. Connor Bedard, future first overall pick, maybe the next one in terms of generational talent, uh, had a four-goal game against Austria. Yes, it's Austria. They beat up on him, but he's, he's still a generational player, and that, that kid's between him. Medvey Michkov of the Russian team, um, who, who's locked into a contract till 2026 in the KHL, but will surely be a top three pick in that 2023 NHL draft. There, there's a lot of talent on display at the World Juniors this year, so the fact that this is coinciding with COVID kind of sucks, but we still get to see these players perform. I mean, Bedard scoring the first hat-trick since Wayne Gretzky at the World Juniors for a 16-year-old on Team Canada is just insane, and there's been a ton of great players on Team Canada over the years, so it's a testament to how good Connor Bedard is and what his future could be in the NHL. So that's kind of my immediate thoughts on the World Juniors. Canada is clearly the favorite. Tweeted out the other day that Brett and I would be happy to talk about a U.S. gold medal. That doesn't look likely now with the COVID uh, 
COVID forfeit of Team USA, but you never know. Canada, by far and away, has the most talent in the tournament, and Finland's a close three behind them in the United States. So excited to see how this shakes out, but um, but I still think Canada gets it done, realistically speaking. Only other thing on the docket before we get to your guys' questions is the, the new announcement from the NHL and the NHLPA that they have shortened the COVID protocol isolation time for asymptomatic players in line with the United States CDC. That is now shorted to five days from the previous 10. So if you have a player that's asymptomatic and does not have a fever, passes everything else, um, he will be allowed back to join the team in five days with negative back-to-back tests as opposed to the 10 days. Should help rosters in the United States. Not really sure what that does for Canada because the one caveat in this announcement was that this would only apply if local health authorities allow it. We know that the United States is on board with the CDC backing this this five-day isolation, but Canada is not at this point, so I don't know how much it solves really besides teams at the state level, which local authorities and whatnot have always been kind of the deferment of the NHL, so certain states that allow isolation periods to be shorter or non-masking or anything like that has always been different around the NHL, so I'm not really sure what the um, what the announcement today does besides helps a player get back into the lineup a little quicker stateside, but really doesn't solve the main issue in the NHL, which is the crossing of the border. And it's why we have another nine games canceled going into the new year is having the league, unfortunately, being a multi-country league between the United States and Canada, cannot just fly back and forth like the NBA really has been able to because they're only missing out on one Canadian team, the Toronto Raptors, and it's easier. They only have one team at a time playing them, not seven Canadian teams. So it still is an issue for the uh, for the NHL. It seems like this is a quick fix to to appease some of the players who have been sitting there saying, listen, we're asymptomatic and that we want to get back out there, which they should, but, um, but it really doesn't solve the main issue for the NHL. I would hope, I'd like to think that maybe Canada follows the United States lead in uh, shortening that time for isolation of asymptomatic players and maybe we can finish this season on time really because I think that's the main issue that the NHL faces right now is finishing the season on time without having to cook too much into that Olympic break because obviously the players are not going to the Olympics but they still want to honor the bye weeks for each team and uh, arena availability is still an issue for for many arenas around the league especially the major ones Madison Square Garden, TD Garden, uh, T-Mobile in Vegas a lot of arenas booked updates in uh, in assumption that the Olympic break was going to happen for the NHLers, and then eventually didn't. So the NHL is definitely scrambling on the schedule end. So that's kind of it for my uh, pontification of this episode. Um, we'll get into some of your guys' questions. Finish off, like I said, this is going to be a quickie. Just me, NRD holding it down. Brett Merriman on Christmas break. He will be back next week. So those of you, which there are many, I'm told, that are fans of, of Brett over at NRD. He will be back for you guys going into next week's episode. But we'll start off ripping some of your guys' questions. Got to go with the first one from a longtime friend of the show, Petrov McGuire on Twitter. Yes, how is it, how is it growing the game when there's only been one game nationally broadcasted and local network games shifted to streaming only and a bunch are blacked out? It's, it's a fair question, and I tweeted this last night before recording this that uh, that I had a lot to say about the the streaming of of games now that the NHL has the TV contract with ESPN and, and TNT. On the TNT side of things, there hasn't been too many streaming games. They've been exclusively late on Wednesday, and that's a different 
issue. Um, the time slot, obviously, with a with a more East Coast based audience in the NHL, the fact that all their games so far that they've covered have been ten thirty starts haven't been the most inviting for viewers. I do understand that. I think that has to do with the wrestling program that they put on on TNT, and that in the new year they'll shift back to the seven o'clock game slot on TNT and a couple of doubleheaders here and there. But for ESPN, you know, it's I will I won't sit here and say say that it's a bad deal for for the NHL or ESPN for that matter. The NHL got paid handsomely, more than more per year than they got for MNBC over the lifetime of the contract. So it worked out in the, in the pockets of Gary Bettman, which, you know, for what it's worth, does mean a lot for, for the players as well. It trickles down throughout the league. But but it is an issue when, when teams are blacked out in their local markets for exclusive games on ESPN Plus and Hulu. Now, I say this as, as an owner of, of the bundle that gets ESPN Plus and Hulu and whatnot, that, uh, that I don't mind watching games on there, but I understand the frustration of those who don't have access to those streaming platforms or don't have the access to really stream. Um, so that, that's a major issue. And I think that what it's doing is it's taking away from an audience that might be, for whatever reason, not able to to watch the games through their computer or through any streaming devices. So you're getting, whether that's going to your local bar or your local hangout spot and watching with friends and, you know, there's TVs on the wall, but they're not streaming TVs. They're hooked up to a bunch of cable boxes in the bar and they just throw on whatever's on that night game wise those things are lost with the with the streaming package and i think that it's a struggle for the nhl i noticed last night i was watching the um san jose arizona game which was crazy game eight seven was the final score in ot but it, it felt to me like seeing all these games on espn plus on the schedule up ahead when when they come out of the inter uh commercial break and they look ahead at the nhl schedule it just seems like the NHL has been relegated to a league like like Major League Lacrosse or the MLS, and I don't mean to demean those leagues whatsoever, but at the same time, you know, obviously the NFL doesn't stream, the MLB doesn't stream, the the uh, the NBA doesn't really stream. They're uh, they're on network television at, at, or local television throughout throughout the season, so. It just seems weird to me that so many NHL games are on the streaming platforms. I would have thought that ESPN would like to show off the product a little bit more. I'm sure the NHL would love it if their games were on national television more often. But in the new year, they should have a couple coming up right after the Winter Classic on ESPN side. And I mentioned the TNT side. They'll be jumping back into the earlier time slot. But I, I think it's one of those deals that it's great for the league and the players monetarily. But the fans, we lose out just because of the... Uh, the, uh, the streaming, and we might win in the long run because the league survives a little bit longer because of the cash inflow from ESPN and, and the Disney company, but there's got to be a solution, especially when I hear stories of like, you know, especially up in Boston, I know Nesson's got an issue with this where, where the Bruins games are, they're blacked out locally because they're on ESPN Plus, but then they're blacked out in streaming, they're exclusively streaming to Nesson, and, and the NHL has a problem on their hands with the streaming platforms, and they really need to address it, and I'm sure we can go into this at a later time when Brett's back on, so I don't have to meander through this conversation as long as I have so far. But but I really think that it's an issue to some people, and I, I am one of those people that are starting to get concerned with the amount of games that are streaming exclusively for ESPN and not on linear television. That I think the game would be better served on linear television, and I think it demeans the game, to be quite honest with you, when, when the only other leagues that are exclusive to, to ESPN Plus is, is soccer. 
and that's both MLS and European soccer, where I know it's it's the world's game, but it's not as popular stateside, so it's relegated to streaming platforms only, and the NHL's joined them, so I, I would hope that they figure that out sooner than later. Next question comes from Los Coyotes Steve. He asks, thoughts on the asking price for Jacob Chikrin and the uh, potential teams involved? We mentioned a little bit last week about Chikrin. He's, he is available in Arizona. Um, surely 28, 29 teams will come calling. He's a hell of a defenseman. Can play top two minutes. He's young. He's under uh, under contract for the next couple of seasons. And, and we'll start to see, as we come out of this trade freeze, because the rosters were frozen over the Christmas break, and still now it's a little hard to really get your footing as a general manager with, with the amount of players who are in COVID protocol and and whatnot, but as we come out of this uh, freeze, if you will, then you're going to start to see teams line up for guys like Chikrin and, and Hurdle and you know Vladimir Tarasenko and all the other players out there for that matter. But Chikrin's an interesting name because, like I said, he, he's younger, he, he's under contract for the next couple of seasons, and he's on a Coyotes team that is going nowhere, and they're looking for futures to to rebuild that entire franchise from the ground up. So. It's obviously going to be a heavy asking price. It's going to involve a ton of futures. I could easily see Chicken for going more than two, going for more than two firsts of value, um, whether that comes through a first round pick and a prospect, or a first round pick and an NHL forward that that can mesh into that lineup pretty quickly. But either way, I think two firsts is a fair price for for Chikrin just because of what he's capable of. Moves the puck extremely, extremely well, and he makes a lot of sense for a team like a New York Islander you know, franchise that is looking for help on the back end. Boston as well. I know Boston's weaker in the futures department is than than many other teams, but Chikrin is gonna have a lot of interest around the league and you know what happens when a bidding war starts. Teams are gonna get involved and I can easily see him going for that two first round value that I just mentioned. Next question from Angelo Masso. He asks what do you think the best path for the Flyers moving forward to actually be contenders? Blow it up, retool the core. What would you do if you're Chuck Fletcher? Well, I'll put on my Flyers hat for a minute. I'll act like Chuck Fletcher. And I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I think that you you have a young goaltender in place in Carter Hart. You can't really move him. He's one, He's an interesting enigma right now because Carter Hart has struggled. We've, we've seen his struggles. But at the same time, you're getting pennies on the dollar if you move him or if you start anew in the net. So you, you stick with him. You hope he kind of works out, it works out his kinks and... Uh, continues on that path that we thought he was going to be on even when he was back with Team Canada at the World Juniors. Carter Hart has always been one of those highly touted goaltending prospects and he's had his good days and he's had his bad days in the NHL but if you're the Flyers at start to net you keep Carter Hart there and then from there I mean they, they've addressed the blue line as well as they could this offseason. They brought in Ryan Ellis, they brought in Keith Yandel who on the older side but still provides a ton on the power play and veteran leadership on the blue line. Uh, Ivan Provorov, I say you hold on to him. He's another young talent that you could hope under a new coaching staff and under a new direction, you know, outside of the Michelle Therrien, Elaine Vigneault coaching staff that they just let go of. And under the new Mike Yo, potentially Adam Foote gets involved, uh, coaching staff in Philly, that uh, he can continue to ascend on his path as well. I, I think the... the the theme of what you're going to hear me say about the Philadelphia Flyers is that they have a ton of young guys that have not really lived up to the potential that we may all have thought they would. And now you're starting to see the the results of that where they're underachieving year after year because we look at their roster up and down. We see guys like Ivan Provorov, Carter Hart, and Joel Farabee, who's 
a little bit more, you know, on that path of, of development that we all hoped he would be. But I think you just have to retool. I, I would keep Claude Giroux. Um, that's just personal. I, I feel like he's a great leader for that for that club and what he's given to the organization and the city over the years. I, I think that he doesn't have much time left in the National Hockey League, so you stick with him and there's familiarity in that locker room. It, granted, if he wants to go out there and win a Stanley Cup, I think you move him to a Colorado team that is looking for center help down the middle, and you hope he gets one done there like Ray Bork did. But you just have, you have to bring in the right players up front. I, I think the Flyers have tried their best to solidify the defense. Rasmus Ristolainen, another name I forgot to mention, who people beat up on Risto. You guys know my thoughts on him. I, I think he's really solid for the physicality that he brings. He's probably not the best... Uh, defender or offender for that matter, but brings a level of physicality on the blue line that others can't just because of his size and weight that he throws around. But, you know, it's not an easy path for Chuck Fletcher right now to retool that Flyers team. It's because there's salary cap constraints that they have. Claude Giroux is a free agent at the end of the year. How much do you pay him if you do bring him back? Sean Couturier is a great piece. He's your number one guy there up the middle. If Claude Giroux misses time or if he goes on to greener pastures. But I, I think you have to you have to reconsider what you did by trading, you know, Jacob Voracek for, for Cam Atkinson. And Cam Atkinson's played really solid for Philly, but you have to bring in guys that are that are able to shoot the puck and that are able to, you know, develop offense. And Cam Atkinson's a guy who likes to shoot the puck, but we all know Jacob Voracek over the years has been a goal scoring machine in Philly. And I think that that's where you look, somebody on the wing that could supplement Farabee and Couturier and Giroux, those guys you have up the middle. And it's not JVR because we know the JVR returning to Philly has not been what they had hoped it would be. So you have to bring in a forward that is able to shoot the puck, drive offense, probably not that grind them out style that Elaine Vigneault wanted in his system. More of a more of a puck moving forward. Like a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, I still think makes it makes a ton of sense for Philly. I know he's on the older side. I, I don't know how much time he's got left in the NHL. But he does drive offense, and that's with his physicality in the offensive zone. Holds on to the puck, creates plays, gets into space. He's the antithesis to, to a grinding forward that, that would have worked in Alain Vigneault's dump and chase system. I think you bring in a guy like Tarasenko, who drives some offense for Philly, shoots the puck eight, nine times a game, and you're going to start to see the goals go up and Hopefully they kind of come out of that rebuild, but uh, or that retool, I should say. That's what I would do if I was Chuck Fletcher. I'd look to add pieces that are drive offense, because I think we all know Philly's defense is what it is. They're healthy half the time. Carhartt's a little consistent, but like I mentioned, I would personally stick with those guys just because of the youth and the, and the contracts that you have there. So you, you build to your weakness, which is also scoring goals, and you lost Jacob Voracek, and now I think you have to retool that offense to bring in a guy like him, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit cheaper, if it's not the Tarasenko route. But a guy who gets the puck on net and, and develops scoring chances for the Flyers is what my primary look for would be if I was in Chuck Fletcher's shoes right now. We'll hit a couple more of your questions here, and then we'll uh, cut this one a little shorter. Like I said, quick episode, but uh, we appreciate the questions. And thank you guys for kind of co-hosting this. I know it's... I'm not the most exciting person when I talk, but uh, but I appreciate you guys sending in your questions. Helps me. A couple of talking points here before we head into next week, where we rip a uh, rip a normal episode of the Cold Stove Pod with Brett. But uh, 
With that, uh, we'll go to Ben Eckberg, who asks, and, and Zach Thompson, too. You guys sent in questions about Vegas, and they asked, uh, who do you see Vegas moving once Eichel clears out uh, long-term injury reserve and comes back into the lineup? They obviously have to clear some cap space up there. And I, I think the obvious name is Riley Smith. Expiring contract makes about $6 million this year on the uh, on the cap dollar, but expiring at the end of the season... Don't know if they're really going to bring him back anyway with their cap situation going into the offseason. Riley Smith's the guy that I would look to move. I think the fit with the New York Rangers is seamless, especially with Gerard Gallant behind the bench for the Rangers. Riley Smith is one of his favorite players on the original Golden Misfits team. And um, and the Rangers have cap space and the, need, uh, the cap space and the need for, for a winger. And that kind of segues into a couple of you guys' other questions about the New York Rangers and what they're going to look for at the deadline. So I'll just kind of quick transition to that because a bunch of you sent that in. But but the fit makes sense there in New York and for for other teams too. But either way, Riley Smith's the guy that most likely ends up being moved off of Vegas's, off of Vegas's ledger for, for cap purposes when Jack Eichel returns to the lineup. And they're still going to be good without Riley Smith. Jonathan Marchessault is playing out of his mind right now. Max Pacioretty is the top winger that we thought he was going to be when they traded for him from Montreal. And, and quite frankly, the questions in Vegas will turn back to their blue line again. Uh, Petrangelo performing well, but worth the contract that they gave him. You could say yes last year, this year. I don't know. It's a tough start for everybody in the league, but, um, but they held on to the defensive prospects in the Jack Eichel deal, obviously giving up only Peyton Krebs and Alex Tuck in that, uh, in that Jack Eichel trade. But, they, uh, questions will be on defense for Vegas, in my opinion. Maybe in the net, too. Robin Leonard. I think Robin Leonard is a top-five goalie when he's on. I think he's a top-30 goalie when he's not. And having that consistency of Marc-Andre Fleury in the net has helped Vegas with that, uh, that peanut butter and jelly kind of tandem that they've had with Robin Leonard and, and Marc-Andre Fleury over the past couple of seasons. Now they don't have it. Question marks behind Leonard, too. So Vegas is going to be strong up front, even with a Riley Smith move, but he makes the most sense there. From a cap perspective. And then to kind of transition to that Rangers uh, question that I mentioned earlier. Riley Smith, obviously one of the fits. I think that the Vlad Tarasenko, Phil Kessel is, if the Rangers decide that this year is really their year, which I don't know if it is, they're still not getting the scoring from the offensive talent that they probably would like to see it from. Mika Zibanejad, Capococco starting to get a little hot. He was right going into the Christmas break, and then who knows what's going to happen now when they hit the ice again. Alexei Lafreniere hasn't really been lighting up the score sheet this season. So you could say that those guys like Tarasenko and Phil Kessel is a fix for that, which it, which it could be. But they still have cap you know, restraints for going up, going into the next couple of seasons between a Capococco extension. Adam Fox's big deal kicks in at the end of this year. There's question marks in the cap dollar situation for the Rangers, just like there is for Toronto. So... To go in on a guy like Tarasenko or Phil Kessel, you have to be damn sure that this is your year. And I think that the Rangers are still trying to figure that out. So far, they've just kept winning hockey games. They really haven't beaten any premier teams. Uh, they, they lost to Colorado twice, lost to Vegas in a shootout going into the Christmas break. But they're, uh, they're a good team. I, I just wonder if that this year is not the year that the Rangers should really go for it. Maybe build the depth up the middle because Zibanejad is not performing to the level that they expected him to this year. Who knows really what happens with Ryan Strom after the season. Some talks that they're in extension conversation. Some talks that they're looking to move Strom and they won't be re-signing him. So building that center depth is important, especially with Philip Heal not turning out to be the center. 
um, of the future there for the number for the second line in New York. But uh, the Rangers have some options. I think I think if they move anybody off that team, I think Patrick Nemeth, the guy you're looking at, the contract just didn't work out for the team like they thought it would. Really didn't bring stability to the blue line um, or physicality for that matter. And they have Nils Lundqvist waiting in the wings. They have a ton of guys in Hartford between Zach Jones, Matthew Robertson, Brandon Schneider. They have defensive prospects in the pool. So moving a guy like Nemeth, no matter what position they're in at the deadline, is probably in their best interest, especially for their cap dollar. Every penny helps. And that's really what I'm looking for out of the Rangers at the deadline this year. Last question here. We'll wrap it up. One from Joel Stoneham. He asks, do you have any clarity on the Tuka Rass situation? With, uh, with Swayman and Allmark healthy, how is he able to practice? And then the team mentioned that he will be, to Garask meeting, will be playing some games in Providence. How do you expect that will work contractually? Well, from, from a contractual standpoint, they'll most likely sign him to a PTO, professional tryout offer, in Providence. He'll play some games there and uh, hopefully rehab his way back into the NHL lineup. And then when he's ready to go, the Bruins are expected to sign him to a one-year somewhere in the $1 to $1.5 million range of a contract. He'll step right into that goaltending lineup. Swayman, obviously, is exempt from waivers with it, with his youth in there. So they might move Swayman up and down the lineup, maybe get him some starts in Providence, maybe store him on the taxi squad for a little while. But Tuka Rask is going to be good for the Boston Bruins. He's going to bring some stability back to the net. Swayman is the goaltender of the future for right now there in Boston. Linus Hallmark signed a gigantic contract in the offseason. Hasn't played with the consistency of a Tuka Rask, and, and I think that's showing. I think that's magnifying and amplifying the defensive issues on the Boston blue line. And Tuka Rask will bring some stability leadership back to that locker room. He's ready, from what I'm told. He's excited to get back into the lineup for the, for the Boston Bruins and for the Providence Bruins, for that matter. He's been practicing this whole time with the team, kind of like a um, e-bug type of, hey, I'm just the guy showing up at practice invited to practice with you guys type of role, but he, he wants to be back in the NHL. I know there's a lot of questions over the past couple of seasons about Tuka Rask and his desire to play, his desire to be there, namely that came out of the bubble, which which I think was unjustified to him and his family. You know, he was going through some family concerns at that time and had to step away, but, but Tuka Rask is ready to go this time around. And, and I think that he is sorely under, underappreciated by some in, in Boston over the past 10 years or so. So he'll get back in that lineup. He'll be healthy. He'll be performing pretty well for uh, for the Bruins. And hopefully that kind of masks some of their defensive issues because it's going to be a struggle to, re- to replenish that blue line at the deadline this year. It might be something that has to wait to the offseason. So Tukaras stability is huge for them and uh, should bring them back to where we expect them to be in the standings. So that'll be it for uh, for this episode of the Cold Stove Pod. Appreciate you guys and gals rocking with me um, today. No, it's kind of a quick episode. No, it's kind of probably a probably interesting hearing the same voice for for 28 minutes straight. But uh, but we appreciate all the listeners and followers out there. The conductor of this locomotive, Brett Merriman, he will be back next week. You can follow him over on Twitter at Schmerriman. Follow the show at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. Appreciate the support. Keep it up. Um, Work with me here on this episode, like I said. Appreciate you all kind of sticking with me for those that have listened. And uh, if not, we'll see you next week on the Cold Stove Pod.